This is ContactTalkRadio.com. Consciousness in action. And you are taking action into your consciousness by tuning into Contact Talk Radio. And on TuneIn.com, Hing.fm, and Upsnap Mobile. Contact Talk Radio. Welcome to Seek Reality Radio with Roberta Grimes. Joyous conversations about what the afterlife evidence and modern science combine to tell us is true about your reality. You have nothing to fear. You are eternal and you are perfectly loved. Knowing the truth changes everything. Now, here is Roberta. There is one reality. Mainstream science and mainstream Christianity give us two alternate versions of reality, of course, but both of them are supposed to exist simultaneously and mutually exclusively, and of course that doesn't make sense. Neither of them has it right because they're both not investigations of fact. We live in fact, after all. But they're both belief systems. One is atheism and one is theism, belief systems. Neither of them has looked at all the evidence for what our one reality might be. And in the space between science and religion, a tremendous body of evidence has been building for nearly 200 years that tells us what actually is going on. Neither science nor Christianity has been willing to study it at all, but fortunately there are wonderful scholars who've given their lives over the past 200 years to making sense of what the dead have been telling us about their world and about our own world. And what the evidence they give us tells us turns out to be more wonderful than our most optimistic imaginings. Now we know for certain that you are an eternal being. You never began, you never will end, and knowing that changes everything. Our guest is an extraordinary pioneer in the field of studying the greater reality in which we live, and a real treat for me to have here. Bruce Millen was one of the great Bob Monroe's original out-of-body explorers, and he will be a featured presenter at the upcoming ASCS conference in July, talking about new developments in afterlife communication. Welcome, Bruce. I'm so glad you're here. Oh, me too, Robert. It's going to be uh, it's going to be a good time and lots of fun today. <laughs> It'll be fun. Well, I'm familiar somewhat with your history, but many people are not. Can you just tell us briefly about you? You met Bob Monroe. Uh, just, just it briefly. If people are not familiar, you've got to go. Robert Monroe, Amazon. Read his books. Um, far. What, what are they? Far journeys. Uh, no, uh, journeys out of the body. Far journeys and um, journeys to. Uh, all to all the. All, Journeys Out of the Body, Far Journeys, and Ultimate Journey. Something like that. Those are his three books. You've got to read them. That's, that's a trilogy that anybody who's remotely interested in understanding reality has to read. He learned how to make these journeys, and then he assembled a group of adventurous souls, one of which was Bruce, to begin to investigate um, whether we could, other people could basically take the journeys he had taken. Um, Bruce wrote some books about what he learned, which, frankly, I think are the best books I've ever read on out-of-body adventures. <laughs> They're just fun. Um, Afterlife Knowledge Guidebook, Voyage to Curiosity's Father. What are some of the others? Voyages into the Afterlife, Voyages Beyond Doubt. You've got to read his books as well if you're interested in this field. Again, his name is Bruce Moen. Now, let's talk, Bruce, about how you got started doing this. Well, 
to, to talk about how I got started, I'd have to go way, way, way back in my lifetime till uh, the age about four or five years old when I was wandering around with these three questions constantly on my mind. Where was I before I was here as a five-year-old looking around at this world thinking, where was I before I was here? Wow. <laughs> the do while I'm here, and where do I go when I leave here? And although I, I read tons of books, I didn't really make much progress until I uh, came across Robert Monroe's work and his Journeys Out of the Body, that first book. Uh, and I struggled for a long time, to try to learn the out-of-body technique that Monroe taught in the way that he taught it, which I guess I would describe as the classic out-of-body experience in which you uh, float up out of your body and see your physical body laying there in the bed and go do something. And to be honest with you, I probably have managed to do this classic form maybe five times in my life. But in the process of following uh, Monroe's first book and his second uh, found my way to the Monroe Institute in, uh, in Faber, Virginia. And that really, uh, really became a turning point for me to begin to explore beyond physical reality and to eventually develop techniques that were simpler than the classic out-of-body method uh, that I used to this day to explore and teach those methods to others. So, but you, you, the, 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 what's exciting about your books is they read like adventure stories. They don't read, they're not dry. A lot of people who work in this field don't have a gift of, for writing, and so what they write is dry. But what you wrote was fun. Um, you know, you kept turning pages. Uh, I remember at one point you were, I can't remember now what it was you were doing, but you had to dive to the center of the Earth to ground something at the Earth's core. And this was very casual. It was something you were normally doing. And I thought, whoa, talk about an interesting life when you're doing something like that. But, of course, you could do it because you're not in the material reality. You're outside that reality. It was fascinating. Yeah, exactly. Um there, there are ways to explore beyond what we call physical reality. And when you do that often enough that you become absolutely convinced of what you said earlier, uh, we are all eternal beings. Uh, you know, there's no need to hurry. You only have all of eternity to figure out whatever you're figuring out. Um, as you begin to live with the reality of that, you discover that, yeah, shifting from here where I am to the center of the earth to uh, to do what I was doing there is normal. <laughs> um, so, yes. It, normal. <laughs> normal for you, my dear, but for some of us, I have never been out of body and haven't tried. It's not been, we're all on different voyages, and the fact that yours began very young, mine did as well, it just went in a different direction. But when you first went to, um, we were exploring with, with, with um, Doctor Monroe. How did it get started? I mean, you, he was experimenting to see if he could get people to do the same thing he had done. Well, um, in Monroe's Institute in Virginia, he had developed a program along with others, 
something he calls the Gateway Voyage. Yes, that, which is still going on, by the way, people. The Institute.com, I think. Uh, anyone can, can go and try to do the same thing, which is exciting. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, that's quite all right. Um, in, my, uh, in my sort of serendipitous stumbling along across things, I found his Gateway Voyage program. I assumed it was going to teach his out-of-body technique, and so I went to attend this uh, six-day program. And Monroe had developed, along with others, had developed his system, which used something called hemisync, which is a proprietary uh, audio technique, that helps people to shift their focus of awareness or focus of attention from the place we call physical reality to other areas of consciousness or other realities. And so in uh, attending that very first program with probably 20 other uh, people who were attending the program, uh, learned that it was possible to actually shift your awareness from one location to another. And some of those locations are within what we call non-physical realities. Uh, we, we make these distinctions, physical, non-physical. Uh, there's only one reality is one of the things that I've come to understand. It's just a matter of where you happen to be focusing your attention. How profound. So, That's so true. That's right. And in, in his program, uh, it was sort of like, I didn't get what I expected. I didn't get training for out-of-body travel in the classic sense. But I became aware of a form of travel in which you can travel from one area of consciousness to another uh, as uh, relatively easily, particularly with this hemisync technology that he developed uh, quite some years ago. Please explain just briefly what that is, because I, I know it's putting different sounds into each of your ears, right? So you're, yeah. you're addressing the two hemispheres of your brain differently. Explain that. Uh, everyone has heard about an alpha state. It's, it's referred to as a brainwave state, a state in which your, your brain waves are, are sort of coalescing around a particular frequency, and it's a relatively low frequency. And people who've read about things like alpha states and theta states understand that if you can learn to shift your uh, brainwave state to one of those, you're able to have experiences that are not necessarily physical world experiences. Um, so let's say, just for the sake of discussion, uh, the numbers won't be right, but let's say that an alpha state was somewhere around two cycles per second. What Monroe did was to discover that by putting a, an audio tone in your left ear of, say, uh, 602 cycles per second, and another tone of 600 cycles per second separately in your other ear, you're, you will hear what we all recognize as the beat frequency of two cycles per second. And the way we hear that is the two hemispheres of the brain join together 
in a way that begins to synchronize brainwaves to that two cycle per second brainwave state, which could be the alpha state or theta state. And oh. so he developed a way of, of uh, with very, very good precision, shifting your brainwave state to various uh, frequencies. Wow. Uh, some people use, and, and these hemisync tapes are available from, uh, or, or probably I, I, uh, podcasts or something, they're available from the Monroe Institute. Um, I don't know whether it's, do you know if it's .com or .org or what they call it? Um, I don't know, but uh, I know Google is the greatest cure for <laughs> memory. <Right. laughs> it's true. Yeah, it's, just Google the Monroe Institute, and you can get a hemiseek tape and try it for meditation, or try it to do uh, be something more than meditation. You can try it to do some of this voyaging. Now, people hearing us are going to. Some of them may say, "Well, that's just you're 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 having a hallucination of some sort." Now, the distinction between hallucination and reality is 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 a specious one because basically everything we think of as real is a hallucination, but um, but still, uh, you, when, when you began to do this, did you did you seek some evidence that you were really functioning beyond your body? I mean, were you able to see your body from the outside, or how did you uh, do that? Do, work that through. Well, the evidence I was really seeking was uh, was still dealing with those three questions from my youth or from my childhood, uh, and I was actively pursuing a method that could allow me to explore where I would go when I leave here. It turned out Monroe had developed another program called Lifeline that used his hemisync technology to help people shift their awareness from physical reality to areas of consciousness we call the afterlife. And when I discovered such a program, I was obviously hooked and had to attend. Absolutely. And so the evidence I was seeking was evidence that could prove to me, through my own direct experience, whether this place called the afterlife existed or not. That was really the evidence I was looking for. Uh huh. And uh, from the time I attended his first gateway voyage program uh, and moved on through uh, <clears throat> his lifeline program, after completing his lifeline program, I spent the next three and a half years using that method to try to gain evidence to convince myself one way or the other, the afterlife real or not. So that's the evidence I was after. And for three and a half years, I would have said, if you asked me, um, I think I'm making it up. I think this is all just a hallucination. I think I'm hoaxing myself. I think that this is not real. For three and a half years, I thought that. I know the feeling. Uh, say again, please. I, I know the feeling. I mean, I spent decades um, researching the afterlife, wanting to be convinced, not will, being willing to be comforted. I think, I think that's what makes people researchers, because it's easy to comfort yourself. There's a lot of stuff that will let you do that, but... To, to get to the point where you are certain independently is, is hard. Well, so did you did you find evidence that helped you be confident then that it was true? Uh, yes, and in my own background, I'm a retired mechanical engineer, and so I really understand what people mean when they say I want solid evidence. 
Right. Uh, the engineering mind will accept nothing less. Uh, in those three and a half years, there were many times that I found evidence that should have convinced me that there was the place called the afterlife and that people do continue to exist there. But each time in those three and a half years, each time I was able to say to myself, well, I think I'm making it up. (laughs) Yes. A a string of lucky guesses. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Oh, uh, Bruce, I totally understand where you're coming from. It is so hard when the whole world is telling you that what what you're seeing in front of you isn't real. It's so hard to to get past that. We're going to take a brief break, and then we're going to come back and learn how Bruce convinced himself that the afterlife is real. You're listening to Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes on the Contact Talk Radio Network. Our guest is the fascinating and venerable Bruce Moen, and we'll be right back. about some of the things that are discussed on Seek Reality Radio, come and join the welcoming community at afterlifeforums.com. Roberta and Andrew manage afterlife forums in an atmosphere of love and acceptance. If you are very ill, if you have lost a loved one, or if you just wonder about these topics, come and join the fun at afterlifeforums.com. If you're interested in communicating with the people we used to think were dead, then don't miss the 39th Annual Conference of the Academy for Spiritual and Consciousness Studies in Scottsdale, Arizona, next July. The theme of the conference is New Developments in Afterlife Communication. Presenters from as far away as Brazil will be talking about not just mediumship, but also automatic writing and pendulum communication and the astonishing new field of self-induced direct communication with dead loved ones. Two different presenters are working on telephones that will let us communicate with the dead directly. Go to ASCSI.org now for more information. That's A-S-C-S-I dot org. Join them next July and be amazed. What if there were a place that was the opposite of civilized? And what if it turned out that was the place where human life finally worked? When Roberta Grimes studied the afterlife evidence, she learned more than that our lives are eternal. She also discovered what we really are. And to help us make the most of our lives, she's begun the Letters from Love series of novels. Begin with My Thomas, her well-reviewed account of Thomas Jefferson's marriage. Move on to Letter from Freedom, then Letter from Money. They read like fantasy romance, but they are the glorious truth. Available on Amazon.com and in bookstores everywhere. Or stop by robertagrimes.com to learn more. Welcome back to Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes on the Contact Talk Radio Network. We're talking with the wonderful Bruce Mowen, who was one of the very first of Bob Monroe's explorers in his out-of-body exploration 
program. Continuing still at the Monroe Institute, which you can Google because we aren't sure if it's .com or .org. Um, but Bruce was telling us, Bruce is a, is a retired engineer, and uh, we were chatting during the break. He's, it's very important to him, as it is has always been to me, to know stuff, not to be deluded or to try to believe or be comforted. And uh, he spent three and a half years trying to see if he could figure out what happens to us after death and uh, continuing to decide he probably, even though he was getting proof, he didn't, well, couldn't be right. I'm going to look further. And and how did you finally begin to convince yourself, Bruce, well, that the afterlife is real? A, a series of direct experiences in which I could not explain them away was really the beginning of the end for my uh, doubt about this place we call the afterlife. Uh, a, a short example, uh, someone asked me to check on my grandmother. Uh, I, I had been using Monroe's lifeline technique, and I knew how to check on someone's grandmother, which meant really my grandmother died, and I'd like someone to go see if she's okay. And so I used Monroe's technique during the time that I was still not yet convinced. And uh, went to find the woman. I, this woman's name is unforgettable. Gertrude Euphemia Weatherwax. <laughs> you made that up, right? <laughs> so I went to look for Gertrude. And, <laughs> and this is essentially all taking place in my own mind which is one of the reasons it's hard for us to believe. It happens within our mind. Anyhow, um, I placed my intent to be with Gertrude, and there in front of me in a very fuzzy black and white uh, sort of image is a woman. I can see her face. I can see that she's elderly. I can see by the look on her face she hasn't had two thoughts you could say were in sequence in a very long time. She's completely... Oh my utterly confused. And as I'm standing there uh, trying to decide what to do, uh, one of the people who taught me how to do this non-physically came flying into the scene and just stood there. And as I watched, two other women, I would say dressed in their old lady bodies, uh, two other women began to approach the woman sitting in the chair with this blank look on her face. She's sitting, like, on a wooden kitchen chair at a wooden kitchen table. And she turns and sees the two ladies approach her, and she looks at one of them and says, Maggie, Maggie, what are you doing here? And whoever Maggie is and the other woman who I recognize so walk over and sort of help, the, help Gertrude out of her chair, and everyone flies away. Um, when I... When I gave this information to the person who uh, asked me to check on the grandmother, what I discovered was that um, the person who asked had been taking care of her grandmother in the last six months of her grandmother's life. She was in end-stage Alzheimer's, and she said, the only way I could get Gertrude to be, to be able to manage her at all during the day was to bring her into her kitchen and sit her down in the wooden chair that you described in front of the wooden table that you described 
And if I got her there, then she would sit quietly and I could feed her and talk to her and do what I needed to do. And she said, the name Maggie is interesting. She said, my own mother's name was Margaret, and Margaret is Gertrude's daughter. She said, no one in the family called her Margaret. Everyone in the family called her Maggie, including her mother and including me. And wow. <laughs> so here I'm, I'm faced with some evidence um, that Gertrude has been stuck in her kitchen since she died. And yeah. the evidence is I managed to convince myself that it, they were just lucky guesses. Uh, so it, it wasn't enough to, uh, to make that final acceptance or uh, surrender, I suppose. But it's an example of the kind of uh, experience that I was having during those three and a half years of gathering evidence where lots and lots of details were precisely right. Uh, we, we should we should just talk to people who are not familiar with how this makes sense. Let's just say very briefly the fact that mind is the only thing that exists. Mind has no time. Mind has no size. And when so, therefore, when Bruce says that he has this in his and your mind isn't in your head at all. Your mind, your mind has really very little to do with your head. So when Bruce says he's having this experience in his mind, he's having it in this greater reality, which is the only thing that exists. Um, but he has then, because he has been taught how to do this, he has zeroed in on the particular place where this woman is stuck. She's, if we were to talk about where she is physically, to the extent she is physically, she's still in that same room, sitting in that same chair. And if that house has had different people move in, and now they've got a chrome chair there, she's still sitting in her mind, she's still sitting in that wooden chair at that wooden table. There are many people who, after they die, I don't know what the percentage, you, can you guess what percentage of people get stuck and don't make their transition? Have you ever thought about that? I've thought about that, and I really don't know what the percentage is. I assume the percentage of people who are stuck after they die is a relatively low percentage. I agree. Yep, I agree. But but, but a low percentage of, of a billion people is still a lot of people who, for for one reason or another, haven't made this what is for nearly all of us a smooth easy transition to the afterlife levels and when that happens they tend to stay pretty much where they died and believe that they're somehow still alive some of them i think think things are strange or things have have uh uh I, I, it, it's not quite what they would expect would continue to happen but because time isn't doesn't exist for them really anymore they don't realize it could be a hundred years that's passed but part of what um Dr. Monroe did was this this lifeline program um, in which he was trying to to sort of send people in their minds in this greater mind that is what we all are part of send people to find people who were stuck or who were off track and hadn't transitioned and help them as you would say go into the light Um, I think that's the way most folks would think of it have them finish their transition to the afterlife levels and you were doing that there um, you, you did more of that, I would gather, during that time? Yes. In, in fact, uh, for the three and a half years that I was trying to, to gather enough evidence to convince myself, that was really the technique I was using. Um, it's called retrieval, and it's a technique in which you uh, 
locate a person who has died and become stuck and enter into a... You can think of it like a person can create a dream for themselves. They create a dream reality. Uh, Gertrude had created a dream reality for herself in which she was in her kitchen. And as I approached her, you can think of it as me standing, sort of observing her within her dream. The place uh-huh. stuck. And if I enter into her dream and become a character in her dream and communicate with her, I can get her attention, and there, that sometimes is the only reason a person is stuck. In Gertrude's case, uh, she had the habit of... Uh, the dementia from Alzheimer's, she carried that habit with her into her afterlife experience. But being able to approach her, get her attention, uh, now I can communicate with her and help her to move where she's supposed to go. And in the process, I can ask her questions or anyone else that I encounter in these experiences. And that's basically how I gathered evidence was to perform this retrieval process and to gather evidence from the people who were stuck that are retrieved. Wait, wait, was, were these retrievals done at, at the request of relatives? I haven't heard from Grandma. I wonder how she is, that kind of thing. Uh, um, or, or was it randomly you just encountered people who seemed to be off track? Both. Uh, in some cases, uh, I would uh, place an intent to retrieve someone, anyone, and in that case, would uh, would most likely encounter someone that I did not know before they died, or didn't have anyone who did know before they died. And occasionally, you can get uh, evidence from such a person uh, when you ask them things like their name, their address, uh, how many children they have, where they lived, and that sort of business. Uh, if you get any of that information back, you can check. But the place to really make progress is, as with the case of Gertrude, someone said my grandmother died and and I'd like someone to check to see how she is because the information I gathered just from observing her grandmother was enough for uh, the one who asked me to visit uh, to verify that some of the information I'd gathered was real. Wow, that's fascinating. Very interesting. I, I think it's important to pause just to make sure people understand that your mind, if you have Alzheimer's or some, uh, or you've lost an arm, or there's something about your body that's impaired, it, with Alzheimer's it would be your brain, you don't carry that into the afterlife. You are eternally a whole, complete being, and your mind is fine. The problem is that, as as you just said, Bruce, um, if you have a habit of thinking of yourself as having a, an impaired brain or being missing an arm or having some physical impairment, you can, you can carry that habit of thinking of yourself that way into the afterlife. Even people who have completely transitioned to the afterlife will sometimes carry that impairment with them for a little bit. And uh, 
there, there's a whole process by which they'll do surgery on you to try to help you get over it. So you begin to understand that you are not impaired and never were because we have bodies in the afterlife that our minds create and you'll create a defective body if you think you, you're missing an arm. So just, just so you know, this woman who was stuck, which, as you said, said it beautifully, Bruce, she had a habit of thinking of herself as with, a, with an impaired mind. And that may have been one reason why she found it harder to get to get past that, there are cases um, where well, Ronald Reagan is one. He had he died of Alzheimer's, and there are reports that as he was leaving his body, he was a normal. He was his his mind was once again normal after it had been disengaged enough from that brain. He was he was whole again. He was healthy again mentally. I think that's extraordinary. But there are a number of cases where reports like that. So that's what's meant to happen. You're meant to forget about the fact that you that you were that you you had lost your mind. But if you don't forget that, then that's another reason, one of many, that you can get stuck. Exactly. What were some of, what were some of the other ways people got stuck that you that you found? I mean, the, the, uh, I, 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 just for some examples. Um, one was a, a a little boy. He might have been uh, eight or nine years old. And uh, his story, if I were sort of to boil it down, his story was that he became ill, and over time he could no longer go out and play with his friends, he couldn't go to school, and uh, toward the end of his life he was hospitalized. And his parents, uh, particularly his mother, were, of course, distraught that their young son was dying. And once in the hospital... Uh, whenever the parents visited, uh, the mother would uh, talk to Jamie, the little boy, and say, Jamie, don't leave. Stay here, Jamie. Oh. Don't. Meaning, oh. you know, meaning, don't die on me, Jamie. Yeah. When Jamie was encountered, um, he was still there in his hospital bed, and he said, I don't know what's happened. Uh, I'm doing what Mom said. I'm staying here. Oh. Mom and the doctor left. They turned off all the machines, and I'm I'm staying, but nobody's nobody's come. Oh, I'm so sorry. It was a it was a heartbreaker. Yeah. Um, the oh, best Lord. part. The best part was, and this is actually the experience of someone in a in a a very brief workshop I taught. Uh, First, it, tell us what happened to Jamie. Did you rescue him? Well, yeah, what happened was um, the uh, this particular one is, is the story uh, of a retrieval by someone else in a short workshop that I taught. And what happened was the, the woman decided she would uh, that she was going to retrieve Jamie, and so she followed her instructions, which were to enter into his reality and introduce him to a helper. You might call them a guide or a spirit helper, but these these people are always accompanying us on these retrievals. And the helper showed up dressed up like a clown. She said he had a big nose and big boots. And, oh. and uh, she thought the little boy would just be happy to see the clown. She said he wasn't. When the clown approached the boy in the bed, Jamie just got all frightened. And uh, the clown sort of bent at the waist and tipped his hat, and there was the baby chick walking around on top of the clown's head. Oh, no. <laughs> and it got the little boy's attention. He slid down off the bed, and they uh, 
walked down the hall of the hospital and got into the elevator, and the, the woman said, I was sure the elevator was going to go up, but it went down, and she thought, oh, my God, where is this boy going? Uh, when the door opened, it opened into a place where there were other children, and puppies and goats and all sorts of animals. A little dog came up to the elevator door the boy recognized, and he ran out and was playing with the puppy, and he was fine. Oh, wonderful. All right, that thank you. <laughs> that makes me feel better. <laughs> That's a, that's a very important cautionary tale. Um, people who are going to die are going to die. It's very important that we understand their lives are eternal. It's just the body that's dying and let them go because one of the things that can keep people from making a good transition is, is when um, we, we tell them they have to stay. And uh, especially a child like that, it's very, very hard as it is if your child is dying um, allow the child to to do, knowing you'll see that child again, and knowing their child is going into very, very, very safe and loving arms. Uh, it's important we let them go. Uh, but we're going to take another break. This is Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes on the Contact Talk Radio Network. You are an eternal being. You never began. You never will end. And really, knowing that changes everything. Our guest today is Bruce Moen, who will be presenting at the ASCS Conference on New Developments in Afterlife Communication in Scottsdale, July 10 to 13. Go to ASCSI.org for more information. And I think meeting Bruce, Bruce and hearing his stories all by itself is worth the trip. We'll be right back. If you're interested in communicating with the people we used to think were dead, then don't miss the 39th Annual Conference of the Academy for Spiritual and Consciousness Studies in Scottsdale, Arizona, next July. The theme of the conference is New Developments in Afterlife Communication. Presenters from as far away as Brazil will be talking about not just mediumship, but also automatic writing and pendulum communication and the astonishing new field of self-induced direct communication with dead loved ones. Two different presenters are working on telephones that will let us communicate with the dead directly. Go to ASCSI.org now for more information. That's ASCSI.org. Join them next July and be amazed. If you'd like to talk about some of the things that are discussed on Seek Reality Radio, come and join the welcoming community at afterlifeforums.com. Roberta and Andrew manage afterlife forums in an atmosphere of love and acceptance. If you are very ill, if you have lost a loved one, or if you just wonder about these topics, come and join the fun at afterlifeforums.com. there were a place that was the opposite of civilized and what if it turned out that was the place where human life finally worked when roberta grimes studied the afterlife evidence she learned more than that our lives are eternal she also discovered what we really are and to help us make the most of our lives she's begun the letters from love series of novels begin with my thomas her well-reviewed account of Thomas Jefferson's marriage. Move on to Letter from Freedom, then Letter from Money. They read like fantasy romance, but they are the glorious truth. 
Available on Amazon.com and in bookstores everywhere. Or stop by RobertaGrimes.com to learn more. Welcome back to Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes on the Contact Talk Radio Network. We're talking with Bruce Mullen, who was one of the very first explorers that uh, the great Bob Monroe trained as he was beginning to help people learn uh, how to uh, essentially get out of our bodies and into our minds. Um, and where, where there's a lot to do, even if your body's still alive and you're still connected to it by the silver cord. Um, wh- one of the things, it's, it's important, I think, that we say, just to finish up the story about Jamie, is that when we die, people come that we are likely to want to go with, that we are, uh, usually it's a, a beloved, could be a, you know, be a beloved pet or two, or, uh, you know, your parents, your spouse, whoever you're more likely to trust appears at the bedside looking young, looking healthy, looking happy, and says, you know, come on, it's an easy trip, and takes us where we're going. What happened in the case of this little boy was that his mother was so desperate that he not die that she insisted he stay in that bed. So whoever came for him, whether it was a grandparent or a pet or whoever it was, uh, couldn't convince him to leave because he was obeying his mommy. And that's heartbreaking. Um, If you are in the position of having a child temporarily leave you because their body's dying sooner than yours, let them go with the people who come to take care of them. They are perfectly safe. The way that children are raised in the afterlife levels is as tender, as loving as you could possibly imagine. And uh, and you, as I say, you will see them soon, and they'll be young adult, and you'll be real glad to, to, to be reunited. Let, let's talk a little more with, with Bruce about the, the kinds of experiences he had in doing this Lifeline program, which, um, it's, which is exciting and important. And, Bruce, you're, you're traveling uh, the world to, to, to teach people how to rescue, do these rescues, right? Yes, and in, in fact, um, uh, there's a lot of that going on in Japan. Uh, but I've taught workshops in Australia and Germany and Poland and South Korea and all kinds of places. Wow. And and so what what um suppose you you could encounter someone who speaks Japanese and you're an American and you're trying to rescue that person who's gone off track. Can they understand what you're saying? Yeah, it's a kind of an interesting process. Um it, it might take too long to explain, but essentially your thoughts occur in a form before before they uh come out your mouth as words. Your thoughts occur in a form that you might describe as uh, symbols or sounds or, or other things sort of mixed together, but they're not actually in words yet. Now, non-physically, you don't have vocal cords. The same process of your thoughts coming into your mind that would be converted into my English language, if the thoughts come in and are projected out without being converted by vocal cords into language, they just go out as those thoughts, impressions, ideas, uh, whatever those things are before they actually turn into words. And those are what is sent to the person who's listening, say the Japanese oh. people. And so oh. when those thoughts enter into his mind or her mind, they get translated by that person's own mind into their own language. Ah, oh. that's and fascinating. 
Yeah, it, it really is. There have only been just a, a few rare occasions in which uh, language has been a barrier in a retrieval, uh, but almost always, it doesn't matter what language they speak, it's a level of communication that occurs sort of pre-verbal, and so the, the verbalization takes place within the mind of the receiver, and it's translated into their own native language. Is that is so mind. interesting. That is fascinating. All right, I'm dying to hear the story about the night. <laughs> tell me the story about the night. We were talking in the break, and you said he had another story to tell us that was evidentiary about a retrieval. It's an example of a, of a retrieval that occurred in a workshop I was teaching in Germany. And it, it gives the sort of evidence that I began to get that convinced me. Uh, the workshop in Germany was attended by a number of psychotherapists. The host was a psychotherapist, and there were several psychotherapists, and they were all convinced I was projecting and doing all sorts of weird stuff. There was one in particular who, after a sort of guided meditation in which they were to visit with the person who was deceased and gather information, uh, the fellow began by saying, if what I say is verified as real, I'm going to get up out of my chair and I'm going to go get in my car and drive myself to the nearest psychiatric facility and check myself in. And then, <laughs> <laughs> then he began to tell the story. Now, the way this, this exercise happens is everyone in the room, and there must have been about 30 of them, everybody wrote down on loops of paper the name of someone they personally knew who was deceased. They folded up the paper and put it in a basket, and then they were drawn at random. And so this fellow had drawn the name at random. And he said that uh, during this visit, he had, uh, had asked the dead man... Um, to be shown a scene from the physical lifetime of the dead man and whoever wrote his name down on the paper that both would remember. And he said, well, he said, uh, the next thing that happened, I'm, I'm looking down at a little outdoor cafe table on a sidewalk. There are cups of coffee that are partially finished. There are ashtrays full of cigarette butts. There are two men, and they're sitting across the table playing chess on a chessboard. And so that was the scene that he was given. He was supposed to relate to the group to see who, if anyone recognized that. And he said, and then he said, when I was asked in the guided meditation for some evidence, you know, show me, tell me, or give me something to prove to the person who wrote down my name uh, that the visit's real, he said, the dead man told me, well, before I died, I gave the one who wrote my name down on the paper the gift of a chess set. And in that chest set, there's a white knight, and that white knight has one of the ears missing. When he said that, the man who was sitting off to my right, a man named Richard, said, you can get in your car now. <laughs> because, That's funny. <laughs> because Richard had the chest set that was given to him by the man whose name he had written down on the paper. And that chest set had a white knight with one ear missing. Wow. Now, that sort of evidence, when that sort of thing happens to you, yeah. that evidence <laughs> just, there's no that, way that, you... That, that's astonishing. That's a funny one, too. Uh, hmm? I, I'm sure, 
So, so that, that when something like that happens in a workshop, it probably convinces just about everybody there, right? I mean, uh, how could you hear that story and not think there's no way that that's not real? Well, <laughs> you'd be surprised. <laughs> but yes, in that particular case, everyone there was pretty wowed by that story. But there were 30 people, and there were at least half of them who had stories with every bit as much fine detail with evidence you couldn't possibly know. Um, That's amazing. So uh, here are thirty people. They're sort of they're sort of random people. They they came to the workshop. They didn't. They'd never done this before. And they uh, that many people were successfully able to voyage to contact the dead. Yes. Um, I, I'm appalled. I'm, I'm appalled. I'm amazed. I'm astonished. I can't. I'm I'm speechless um, well, to know I, that. When I learned to use Monroe's technique and attempted to do his out-of-body, his classic out-of-body, I discovered it was something that I just really, I'd have to work too hard to figure out how to do that. I spent years. So I developed my own system of just some simple concepts and techniques and some exercises anyone can use to learn to explore this afterlife place through your own direct experience to discover for yourself, first of all, is it real or not? And my basic premise is if you can find a way to communicate with someone who's deceased, get information you have absolutely no other way of knowing except from a conversation with that dead person. If you can verify that the information is real, you've gathered some evidence that that person continues to exist. Right. Oh, absolutely right. Um, I, I, Bruce is going to be giving actually a workshop on doing these things um, at the conference, the ASCS conference, uh, July, um, I guess it's 11th to 13th in 2014 this year. And um, he will be giving a one-day workshop uh, on that Monday, the 14th, for anyone who's really interested in doing this. Um, he's, if he's been going back repeatedly to Japan and teaching people there how to teach his techniques and with success, uh, it's it's kind of this is kind of really really worth doing. I think I may try to stay myself and 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 experience that. Uh, that's quite remarkable, Bruce. Um, I, it's important again to emphasize that what Bruce is doing is inside mind with a capital M. We are all part of mind. That's what we are. We think we're in bodies. We're not. Our bodies are just temporary vehicles for this strange brief experience that we call an Earth lifetime. Um, so, so you you finally convinced yourself after three and a half years, um, and and you're comfortable now. You're certainly not afraid to die, or or you're, uh, you're 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 quite comfortable about the people you've had die yourself. Yes, um, I mean I was with both of my parents uh, died since I began teaching this stuff, and so their deaths were a completely different different kind of experience for me because. I was there when my father was in a coma and, and moving toward death, there to see him come up out of his body several times in response to my mother, who predeceased him, showing up and taking him out of his body and going on a little tour of where he'd be and coming back. Oh, wow. <laughs> T- 
kind of just getting cozy with the next level. Isn't that a, that's wonderful? Yeah, I, I I find even knowing that the truth um, enormously reduces the grief we feel. Naturally, we're sad if we're not going to get to see someone's physical face anymore, but it sure does make a big difference when you know that someone who can't really use that body anymore has this glorious, glorious future. Um, very exciting. Uh, so again. Bruce is going to be, Bruce Mullen is one of the original afterlife explorers. He's going to be at the ASCS conference in July, July 10th to 13th. And on the 14th, he is going to be giving a workshop on how to do this amazing stuff. I tend to be one of the people participating. I've never even wanted to go out of body before. But the thought of being able to help people who are off track is is uh is kind of an exciting one. I, I would love to be able to do that. And so I look forward very much to that. Um just just we're 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 coming to to the end of our hour. I'm so glad to have been able to spend this time with you, Bruce. You've been one of my heroes for a long time. state the names of your books because I screwed it up in the beginning. Oh uh, the first I I I started this monster with Voyages into the Unknown. And my publisher liked the Voyages thing so much that the <laughs> second book is Voyage Beyond Doubt, the third is Voyages into the Afterlife, and the fourth is The Voyage to Curiosity's Father. The fifth book, the Afterlife Knowledge Guidebook, is the workshop that I'll be teaching uh, after the uh, conference, and I think it may even be a two-day scheduled workshop. But the Really? Book, uh, oh, Sunday as well. That's right. I think that's, I think you're right. I think it's two days. Anyhow, the um, the fifth book, Afterlife Knowledge Guidebook, is uh, essentially a you-can-do-it-at-home sort of method uh, for those who can't make it to a live workshop and experience the group energy that definitely gives it a boost. Wow. Well, we've come to the end of our time. Thank you so much, Bruce. I'm Roberta Grimes. My books are The Fun of Dying, Find Out What Really Happens Next, which is about the afterlife, and also several novels, which are my special joy. My Thomas is a factual account of Thomas Jefferson's extraordinary marriage, first published by Doubleday now on a, in 20th, uh, 20 year release. Um, Letter from Freedom and Letter from Money are the beginning of a seven novel series based on what I've learned about human nature from the afterlife evidence and how we might use this evidence to help make humanity finally work. All are available on Amazon and at bookstores. Visit robertagrimes.com to learn more. Our guest next week will be the the wonderful force of life, Dr. Gary Schwartz, for the third time. He's the rarest of birds. He's a scientific investigator who investigates reality, um, as scientists investigate reality on a scientific basis in a university setting, and he has exciting things to tell us about what he's learning. Again, come to the ASCS conference in July. Visit ASCSI.org to learn more about that. Meanwhile, visit Eternia, E-T-E-R-N-E-A dot org to learn more about our one reality, and come to afterlifeforums.com and join the discussion. Now, go out and enjoy and make the most of this coming week in our one reality, knowing that you are an eternal being and you are infinitely loved. You've been listening to Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes. Joyous conversations about your eternal life. To learn more, tune in every Saturday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern. For lively and positive discussions, visit www.afterlifeforums.com. To contact Roberta, email her at roberta 
at SeekReality.com. Wishing you a productive week empowered by the truth of who you really are. Thank you.